Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, hello, and welcome to Soccer Made in Portland on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. My name is Chris Reifer, and joining me as always, the Timbers and Thorns beat writer for the Oregonian and OregonLive.com, Jamie B. Goldberg. Jamie B., what's up? Um, not much. Uh, it's always kind of weird having these Mondays after Timbers games. I, I think it, it's kind of a little bit more casual. You're not, you don't have to go to any trainings. It, it's very different for you. I, I'm sure, uh, you yes. probably had to wake up early and go to work <laughs> and you probably hate them. Um, but, uh, but it kind a, of, a little bit. Yeah. It's kind of a way to, you know, not necessarily ease into the week, but, but at least be able to do a lot of the work in pajamas. Uh, so, um, having a pretty lazy, uh, well, a work, a lazy work day in terms of at least being able to hang out at home with my dog and uh, do my work. Yeah, uh, not a lazy work day for me, sadly. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, it was a little bit better with like the five o'clock kickoff uh, or the yeah. five o'clock ish kickoff. Thank you, Fox Sports. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, because it's like, OK, I got done writing about 11 o'clock or so. So it's like it's not a ridiculous bedtime. There are definitely times when it's like a seven thirty kickoff or an eight o'clock kickoff uh, that it really st- it really stinks. It's like pretty terrible, um, and so I end up going to bed at like one or one thirty, and then I get up at six to you know go do my real job. Um, oh, we have a really important question from Sean that I wanted to address right off the top, uh, and that is, what is your favorite hot sauce? Jamie, <laughs> are you a hot sauce person? Are you a spicy food person? If so. Uh, what is your favorite hot sauce? Yeah, I, I think I've grown over time in terms of liking spicy food a bit more. I used to not put hot sauce on anything. I hated anything with hot sauce. But now there's always a bottle of sriracha in our fridge and it goes on um, just about everything that you can add hot sauce to. Um, although I shouldn't say that because I, I do know some people that really have a large definition of what that could possibly be. What is the weirdest thing you put sriracha on? See, I don't think I don't think I put it on that weird. I mean, I put it on potatoes and stuff, but I don't think that's okay. that strange. I, I definitely know people that will put it on actually anything. Um. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you definitely see some wacky things that people will put uh, hot sauce on. I'm not like a. I like hot sauce. I I, I definitely like spicy food. Uh, I am not like a you know hot sauce on my regular meals kind of kind of person. Uh, so, you know, I mean, like, like I won't just, I, I don't have any sort of like sriracha just hanging out in my house. I will put it on things if it's like, oh, okay, that sounds good. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's not a huge thing for me. What it, does wing sauce count as hot sauce? I mean, I guess it depends what kind of wing sauce might, it yeah. might. 
Uh, because, because of it, like, if if we're gonna work wings into this, because I do freaking love wings. Uh, I'm uh, kind of nuts about them, uh, and in particular, I freaking love Fire on the Mountain. Uh, and and you know, it, it's funny. In spite of the name, it's not super spicy, but the spicy peanut sauce uh, at Fire on the Mountain is spectacular. Yeah, that one's really good. <laughs> uh, it is just like absurdly tasty. Uh, but I also like the the bourbon chipotle and the lime cilantro. Uh, I, I think are, are both very good. And those ones pack a little bit more heat, especially the bourbon chipotle. You can definitely get some days uh, where that bourbon chipotle will burn you up a little bit. And and I always enjoy every bit of it. Um, so I, I guess I kind of changed the question because I think the, the intent of the hot sauce question is more like the sriracha kind of stuff. Uh, but, you know, that's the direction I'm going to take it. And Sean, well, what are you going to do about it? Uh, this is not sort of a, an interactive show beyond uh, the opportunity to submit questions beforehand. So you're going to have to find some other way to punish me. Um, okay. Let's talk about the Timbers. Uh, they won over Orlando City by a score of three to zero. That was just yesterday evening, as we discussed. Recording on Monday. That means that was on Sunday, uh, in case your days of the week give you trouble. Uh, our predictions, pretty, pretty solid, if I do say so myself. Uh, we, I called a 3-1 win uh, with the Sebastian Blanco brace. Uh, I picked the wrong Argentine uh, for the brace. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, that that's... You know, it's it's like you know, Valeria adjacent, uh, and and you know, I mean, the the Timbers scoring three, that's good. The win, the, that's good. Uh, you also called a two zero win for the Timbers with a Liam Ridgewell goal. Uh, again, the Ridgewell goal didn't happen. You didn't get the scoreline exactly right, but you got a lot of sort of the feeling of the game. The Timbers with a comfortable multi goal win, uh, and yeah, so you know, I think that's a, that that probably comes through pretty well for both of us. Uh, you haven't given out the points recently, so why don't you go ahead and, and, and take the formal step of handing out points. Uh, but I, I think we can both uh, walk away from that one with our heads held high. Well, I think we should get the same amount of points for that. I think when you yeah, look at I think what that's we got, about right. um, I, I am just going to do this because it's on my mind. Um, I'll give us both 28 points, mostly because it's my 28th birthday tomorrow. So, Oh, uh, hey, happy birthday. <laughs> just for fun, uh, since that's how old I will have to remember that I am for the next year. Yes. Yes. Well, congratulations on the birthday. Happy birthday. Uh, and 28 points, I think is maybe a little bit generous, but Hey, you know, there's a reason. Them, so, <laughs> yeah. So whatever. Uh, what did you, you, you didn't, you didn't buy my Valeria adjacent argument no, for the Blanco. No, race. It's absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, that's a completely different human. That's a ridiculous argument. Um, okay. So, you know, I think the, maybe the, the big, way that I was thinking about the game as I left yesterday. Uh, and, and so I'll sort of started out this way, start out the discussion this way is what did you find to be the bigger factor? Was it that the Timbers were impressive uh, or was it that Orlando city was unimpressive? What really dictated that game uh, as between the two teams? Yeah, I, I think that Orlando city certainly was unimpressive. I also think that they clearly didn't have the right game plan uh, to try to defend the Timbers at Providence Park. The Timbers were able to go be, get behind their back line with ease from the get-go of the game, um, put through balls in, just put themselves in really good spots in the attack throughout the entire game, and you could just tell that Orlando City had no answer to that. But I, I, I feel like I still have to give the Timbers credit here if I have to pick one or the other, because I do think the Timbers executed their game plan to a T. And, and I think they had a lot of different players that stepped up. You, you look at Darren Maddox's game, you look at Diego Valeri, you look at Diego Chara, you look at Darlington Nagby. 
there, there was a lot of players on the Timbers roster that really stepped up there, and the defense also managed to keep the clean sheet, I, something obviously that has been an issue throughout the season. So I think that Orlando City made it a lot easier on the Timbers, but I also think the reason that the scoreline was what it was and could have been 4 5 six, zero easily if the Timbers had converted some more really good opportunities is because the Timbers had players that played well and they executed their game plan and stepped up when they needed to. I think that's fair. I, I still, I think, lean on the edge of Orlando City being unimpressive. I, I thought they had completely the wrong approach uh, to start out. Uh, I did not think they 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 competed like they were terribly interested. Uh, I thought they were really undisciplined, as the two red cards suggest. Uh, I thought they were straight out a a dumpster fire in the, in this game from uh, from game plan through execution. I I, I think there is nobody uh, in purple and white yesterday that that should be spared ridicule uh, for the way they came in and played it at Providence Park. It was completely naive. Uh, it was ridiculous given the personnel that everybody knew the Timbers were going to have, uh, you know, primarily available on the day. Uh, and yeah, I mean, frankly, if I was on the board of uh, of Orlando City or, or uh, you know, whoever is making their their sort of personnel decisions, I would be asking a lot of questions of a lot of folks, starting with Jason Christ. Uh, I, I thought their maintenance of a high line was ridiculous. Uh, especially given that there was nobody on that team and and there was nobody on the team sheet. It's not like somebody came out and had a bad game. There was nobody on the team sheet that was going to apply any sort of uh, genuine pressure in the midfield. They had no, you know, fearsome ball winner. They had no Diego Chara in there. Uh, They didn't have, they didn't exactly uh, surround, uh, you know, just flood the field with guys that are good two-way players. Uh, And so, you know, I mean, they, they had no midfield pressure. Uh, they had, they, they were playing a, a high line with a not very athletic, uh, back line, uh, against, uh, a Timbers team that ever, basically everybody knew that Dairon Espria was probably going to play because, because of David Guzman being questionable, uh, late in the week. So, you know, I mean, the, 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 the rotation, the Timbers have showed over and over recently is Nagby moves into the central, uh, and then Espria comes in on the wing. No surprise there. Darren Maddox was always going to start that game. There was never any question that maybe it might be uh, Fernando Adi. The question about Adi was whether he was going to be in the team. Maybe see 10, 15, 20 minutes. It was never a question whether he was going to start. So you knew it was going to be Maddox. You knew it was going to be Espria. Uh, and Jason Christ brought his team out to play that way anyway. I mean, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Um, that's bad coaching, period. Uh, and so I, I thought Orlando City was remarkably unimpressive, basically from kickoff uh, through to the final whistle. Uh, I agree with you. 3-0 was a maybe flattering <laughs> scoreline uh, for the Lions on the day. Uh, it, it very easily could have been much, much more. But yeah, that is not to take credit away from the Timbers. The Timbers can only play the opponent that's in front of them, right? Uh, and to the Timbers' credit, unlike times before this season, uh, up against an unimpressive opponent at Providence Park, there was no pretense of Orlando City sticking around in this game. Uh, the Timbers uh, jumped out in front. They got the second. They got the third relatively early in the second half. You know, I mean, Caleb Porter was nitpicking and saying, well, I would, I wish we would have had the third a little bit earlier in the second half. It's like, okay, they got it in the 60th minute. It's not like they waited till the 90th minute to, to sort of put things away. It, it was over, uh, certainly by the time 
uh, Jonathan Spector picked up his his red card, and and certainly certainly by the time the Timbers uh, shortly thereafter poured on that third. And so uh, credit to the Timbers for not letting him stick around like Colorado or San Jose earlier in the year, or or, or L.A. or painfully Seattle. Uh, when they ended up drawing that game, uh, there was no question that that was going to happen uh, in, in in this game against Orlando City. And so the Timbers absolutely deserve credit for that. Uh, absolutely deserve credit for taking advantage uh, of what Orlando City gave them. Uh, I just think what Orlando City gave them was a lot to an unconscionable extent. And if I were an Orlando City fan today, I would not be happy. I would be very, very upset uh, with the way uh, my team was set up and the way the team came out to play. Uh, somebody who was not at all upset with the way Orlando City came out today uh, to play was Diego Valeri. He scored another two goals. He scored goals in nine straight games. He's also scored 20 goals for the season. Uh, both of those numbers are big numbers. And yeah, I mean, I guess the, the new one, it was, you know, the, the, the consecutive games of the gold scored thing kind of seems like, you know, old hat by now. So now let's talk about uh, the sheer number of goals scored over the course of the season, 20. That is a club record, but he's sort of just been adding on to that for a while. Uh, he also leads the Golden Boot Race in MLS. Uh, how significant of an accomplishment is the, the 20 goals? He now sits at 20 goals and nine assists for the season. How significant is that? Yeah, I I think one thing you didn't mention was that he's the first midfielder ever to score 20 goals uh, in MLS in a single season. He he would have been the first midfielder ever to score 19 goals. He, he surpassed I, that I, mark. I didn't I didn't mention that because I think it's a highly debatable <laughs> statistic when it comes to is Diego Valeri really playing as a midfielder right now? I think there's a good argument to be made. He's not. And in that he's being, and that he's essentially being played as a de facto forward. Uh, and so, you know, I mean, what's the difference between Valeri uh, this year and, and Jovinko when he scored 24, 25 goals in 2015? I mean, come on, give me your break. <laughs> Sorry, that was that was my interruption right. and my bone to pick on that one. Well, even uh, if and, you want to poke Mike Donovan, even if eye. you want to pick on that, the other thing that I think you've <laughs> mentioned before and is significant is that he'll become just the second player to hit the twenty goal, ten assist mark if he gets only one more assist in the next three games. So he's kind of in an area right now where not many players in MLS have accomplished what Larry's accomplishing this year. I mean, you pointed out. He's already broke the record for goals in consecutive games. And if he gets that assist, he'll have another uh, accolade that he can turn to. I think that at this point, given that he's leading the goal and boot race, he's not only a candidate for MVP. He has to be. I, I think a lot of people have kind of gave the MVP award to Via before the season started. It seemed like or early on it was kind of sewn up for him. But I, I really don't think it is anymore. I think Valeri has to be a front runner for that award given this performance that he's having right now and what it's doing for the Timbers. It's a remarkable streak, a remarkable run of form, and it's just a pleasure to watch and enjoy it uh, because there's not many seasons where you're going to be following a team and see something like this happen. I definitely agree that it is massively significant. Uh, And for those reasons, I mean, look, you know, Diego Valeri, I think, as you alluded to, is the front runner for for MVP right now, and 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 I don't think he's a prohibitive front runner. I think you could certainly see David Villa catch up uh, if he has a good final month or or, or so of the season. Uh, but you know, right now, if I were a betting man, I would put my money on Diego Valeri to come away with that award. So I mean, you know, that's pretty good. But yeah, and then you know, 2010, if he does get there, and I certainly uh, hope he does for history's sake, uh, is. Huge. 
two people have done that in, in, in MLS's what, 21 year history now. Uh, that's really, really impressive. It was actually Joe Vinko in that 2015 season when he did it. Uh, it's also possible that, that, that David Villa uh, will also get this, get there this year. But that doesn't cheapen what, what Valeri's done. That doesn't at all uh, change. That just makes it extraordinary that we have two guys that are performing at such a high level uh, for their respective teams uh, this year uh, and just goes to show just how good a season this has been for Diego Valeri. So, I, I mean, I, I, to some extent, I feel like I'm running out of superlatives uh, when we talk about Diego Valeri because it's like, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. You know, put it on his tab. Uh, but... Yeah, it's amazing. Put it on a stab. Uh, so that's how I feel about that. Uh, Darren Maddox certainly had an eventful day uh, on Sunday. It was eventful for really positive reasons, as we've talked about, and we'll talk about a little bit more, and maybe some kind of negative reasons. Uh, what did you think? More positive uh, in, in how he just absolutely just terrorized the Orlando City back line, or, or negative in, in, in the chances that he missed? He had one goal. He drew another penalty. And yet I think you could walk away saying he could have done a lot more than that uh, if he'd been a little bit more clinical in, in, in a number of moments. What do you say? Yeah, I, this is one where I'm going to say more positive just because I, I think you have to give Darren Maddox credit for what he was able to do in that specific game. It, that game was kind of laid out for him. Like you said earlier, with the approach Orlando City had, it was not an effective approach and it wasn't going to be an effective approach against Darren Maddox. And he just really caused a lot of problems for Orlando City's back line with his ability to get in behind and and create havoc. So I think he has to have credit. He set up the PK. He scored a goal. I'm not sure where the Timbers would have been on the day, although it it was clear, as you said, that the Timbers were the better team from the get-go, but I'm not sure where they would have been without Maddox because he was involved in some element in all three goals and in a lot of the other chances on the day, I believe he had six shots on target, seven shots total that led the Timbers in both categories. So I'm going to give him credit on this, but acknowledge the caveat that he missed some chances that he has to convert. And against a better team in on a different day, we could be looking back at this and saying that Darren Maddox missed the key chance to change the game. And you wouldn't be looking at it quite as positively. And I think the fact that Darren Maddox hasn't shown he can consistently convert chances that you need a striker to convert is still problematic for the Timbers, particularly since we don't really know Audi's status at this point. The fact that he wasn't in yesterday's game, wasn't on the bench, is not a good sign in terms of his recovery. We don't know if he'll be back next week for minutes against San Jose. Very unlikely that he'll be back starting. Um, Or whether he will be starting at DC United or this is going to get prolonged even further. And so the Timbers are going to need Darren Maddox down the stretch to step up and having getting in good positions, getting in behind the defense, getting good opportunities is great, but ultimately against a better team, if you can't turn those into goals, then the positive impactful performance doesn't mean all that much. So I think that's a, that's a really, really good way to put it. And uh, you know, I mean, just in slightly different terms, I would say I, I think Maddox had a good game. I think Maddox did exactly, uh, you know, did a lot of what he needed to do, uh, given the way Orlando City came out to play. But that game doesn't change my view of Maddox one iota. I mean, the Timbers will not face another opponent this year that are going to be that naive. They may not, may not face another opponent next year that's going to be that naive. Uh, that was a a uniquely you know, <laughs> ill-advised uh, approach to the game 
uh, from Orlando City. And so it's not going to come that easily for Maddox at any time, certainly this year, probably next year, maybe for the rest of his career. Uh, and so, you know, I mean, it, it is it is good that he took advantage of it to the extent that he he did. Uh, the Timbers certainly benefited from his performance on the day. And so you, you give him credit for that. Uh, he absolutely did what he needed to do uh, in that respect. But my goodness, he can't. I mean, you know, I, I sort of put it maybe a little bit harshly in, in, in my piece on Stumptown Footy. But like, would like would you have any faith right now that Darren Maddox can score a non-tap-in? Because the only things he scored this year have been veritable tap-ins. Uh, there was the one late against what was it, San Jose that was uh, that was pretty much an empty netter. Uh, there was the one against Vancouver that was that was a tap-in. Granted, and, and and you know, I mean, tap-in goals are not bad. I mean, a lot of times they're set up by good movement by the forwards. Certainly, that was the case uh, on the Timber second goal against Orlando City. He deserves credit for the run that he made. Uh, I, that was a great play between he, Dirona Spree, and Diego Char to, ma- to make that happen. But when it comes down to finishing, which, you know, I mean, there's certainly a lot more and we talk about it all the time. There's a lot more to being a forward than just finishing. But finishing is also an important part of being a striker. Uh, and, and when it comes to finishing, do you expect him or, or, or do you trust him to finish anything that's not a tap-in? Frankly, right now, I don't. Uh, and and nothing, nothing that happened yesterday <laughs> changes, uh, changes my view on that. Uh, when games are tighter than they are, than they, they were yesterday, do you trust Maddox? Uh, to be able to to have more of an impact on the game uh, and, and to help the team, even if he's not necessarily scoring. There's nothing that happened yesterday that that, that makes me think the answer to that is yes. Uh, and and so, you know, I, I mean, I, I fully acknowledge that he was an important player yesterday. And he was, uh, for extended periods of, of the game, maybe the most dangerous player on the field. I just don't think it speaks more broadly uh, to whether Maddox is, is ready to be sort of a a more broad-based effective player or, or multi-dimensional player for the Timbers. He's a pretty one-dimensional guy. It turns out that dimension, uh, the game set up very, very well for him. He took advantage of that, but I don't know, man. Uh, I, I, there's just not a whole lot that, that I see from that uh, that makes me think there are you know manifestly different or bigger and better things coming from Maddox uh, around the corner. Uh, one thing that was pretty different from anything that we've we've seen at least intentionally rolled out from from the Timbers this year. Is this, uh, or frankly ever, is this dynamic we saw between Darlington Nagby and Diego Chara yesterday? Diego Chara was a lot more sort of the box-to-box presence, the, the, the midfield ball winner, uh, sort of what you would typically call the eight. And Darlington Nagby was basically playing as the six. We've seen this at times in games, and we've seen Nagby sort of float into this the, the, a, a similar role. But I don't think we've ever seen the Timbers go out and basically be like, yeah, Darlington Nagby is our six. What was your impression of that, uh, both with respect to how Chara played and how Chara fit into that role and Nagby? Uh, and do you think that is viable for the future? Or is it something, I mean, to, to I guess, bring in a question from Dave, you know, is it something that you think might be uh, nullifying other guys on the roster? Does David Guzman still have a spot? Does, does Lawrence Olin still have uh, a role? The, do the other sort of depth pieces that the Timbers have in defensive midfield still have a role in light of what we saw from Nagby and Chara yesterday? I mean, I, I think it was very effective yesterday. I, I think that Nagby's distribution, I think he completed about, I think he only had one unsuccessful pass, something like 98%. Yeah, if you want to round up because it was 98.6, it was 99. So you can go ahead and say he completed 99% of his passes. Yeah, so I think he was effective in that role. I think he was effective as a 
uh, distributing the ball. I, I think Chara did a good job, in which we know he can do at covering a lot of ground in that box-to-box role. Getting up in the attack, he, he sent the through ball into Espria that led to the goal that Maddox scored. And, and so I think, yeah, both of them were very effective in that role. And it was an interesting dynamic that we really haven't seen before, at least for an extended period of time. I think that it's something that Caleb Porter might keep in his back pocket and, and know that it's possible and also know that depending on the opponent, it, it might be something that could be effective. But I also don't see him suddenly turning to Nagby as that kind of player. I think he still sees Nagby as a player that can provide an important role in the attack. And depending on what they're expecting from the other team, I think we're going to see Nagby mostly on the wing and going back to the position we've seen him in for the majority of the season. But if the game kind of dictates that, dictates that, or the personnel dictates that, Porter does know now that that's something he can do and that's something that can be done effectively. Yeah, I th- that is exactly my perspective on this uh, as well. I, I thought it worked out well yesterday. I thought Chara just did a remarkable job, both of being a menace uh, on the defensive side of the ball, but also really, really being effective at, at getting his finding pockets of space. Granted, given to him by Orlando City uh, and getting his head picked up and and, and looking uh, to play the ball positively rather than uh, you know I mean what you would maybe sometimes otherwise see. Uh, from from a defensive midfielder. I mean, you know, he he was the guy that played the through ball on on both the penalty and the the goal in the first half, uh, and and that is really really good stuff from Char. That's exactly what the Timbers wanted from him uh, in that game, and 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 they got it. Uh, Nagby, I thought was excellent uh, as a six. I, I thought he showed pretty good understanding uh, of where he needed to be positionally, where he needed to be making rotations, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, I thought he showed. Uh, pretty, I mean, you know, characteristically impressive distribution. Uh, it is a good fit for his ability to, to, to do some ball retention. Uh, I mean, he is, he is maybe the best ball retention player in MLS. You want somebody that is very, very clean on the ball as a six. You want somebody that can ride a challenge as a six. Uh, and so I think that fits fairly well. Uh, and paired with somebody who's as much of a ball hawk as Diego Chari, you can sort of get away. Uh, with Nagby's, I think probably average or, or frankly, you know, below average uh, ability to win the ball uh, as as a defensive player, he's only competent uh, when it comes to the defensive aspects of being a six. But if you've got somebody that's as active as Diego Chara, you can get away with a guy that is mostly just you know positionally disciplined. Uh, and so I thought that worked very very well. Uh, I think there are a lot of teams against whom that would be problematic because you want to have two guys. Uh, that are going to be a little bit more influential on, on, the, on the defensive end of things uh, and, and that are going to be a little bit more disruptive, especially teams that like to play the ball uh, through zone 14, through the middle. Uh, you're going to want to have both, you know, David Guzman and Diego Chara in there to break up those attacks. And those are also guys uh, that can do the other things that are asked of being, uh, that are asked of the six and, and the eight uh, over the course of a game. So I don't think it's something that we're going to see, uh, you know, all the time now, but you know, just as you put it, it's something that now I think Caleb Porter can say, yeah, okay, that's something in my back pocket that I've, if I feel like I've got a team uh, that's going to run a couple real wingers out there that isn't going to try to play a ton through zone 14, Orlando City did almost none of that uh, over the course of the game, uh, then yeah, I mean, that's something that I can get away with and the, there are certainly benefits uh, from doing that. So, you know, I, I mean, credit to Porter for 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 making that move uh, and, you know, finding now another club that he's got in his bag to play with. Uh, over the course of the the end of the regular season in the playoffs. 
Uh, Derek Tellez, that was awesome, wasn't it? Uh, he it, was it Tellez or Tellez? Well, did, not, did you ever sort that out? I did not sort that out for sure. I, I my my thought was Tellez, but now that you're saying that, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I don't know if I ever heard his last name verbalized, but nonetheless. Uh, Derek w- w- was the young man that the, that the Timbers had in through Make-A-Wish, Oregon, uh, who, who was battling a, a form of, a, a, of cancer, uh, and, and they made his wish come true, I, I thought, in pretty spectacular fashion over the course of the week. They signed him to a, to a, to a one-day contract uh, to play goalkeeper for the Timbers. Uh, in, in, in last night's game, he came out with the team. They, they really did uh, the whole nine yards that was so much fun and was another thing that, that sort of reminded me of Atticus back in 2013. What was your impression? What was your takeaway? And is there sort of like a, an image or a moment you got to, to see him and, and to talk to him? Was there something that sort of stuck out to you as being particularly special? Yeah, I, I think it's incredible that the Timbers were able to partner um, with Make-A-Wish Oregon to do this. I, I wasn't here for the Atticus game. Uh, I've obviously heard a ton about it, but I came in 2013 a little bit after that happened. Uh, so I just think it's incredible that the Timbers are able to make a child's wish come true like this and really make it legitimate. Uh, he wasn't just out there watching practice, meeting some of the players, but he was really part of the team for the training on Friday and during the actual game. I think it was just really cool to see him be able to hold up that log slab at the end of the game. That's a pretty exciting moment in front of the Timbers Army, everyone cheering him on. I, I think that was really cool. And just, I, I mean, you could see his smile on his face warming up with the goalkeepers. You see that in some of the photos. He really got the experience of being around the Timbers for a few days, and it, he looked like he was really enjoying himself. So I think that's what it's all about. I think it's amazing they announced his name uh, before the game on the roster and really just did this the right way. Uh, so I think it was a great thing the Timbers were able to do and, and hopefully a really big experience for him. Yes. And hopefully one that, that gives him uh, a, a shot in the arm with what he is facing now. Certainly best wishes to Derek. Uh, it was a lot of fun to see, see him in a Timbers uniform. And, and I will say, I, I just have to plug this because like it was basically super, super cool. Uh, the Timbers put out a video uh, over social media and I think it's also on their website. Uh, that was sort of a, you know, just a two and a half minute kind of, you know, video compilation uh, of his time. And at the end of the video, Derek's brother, uh, Josue, who who was with him throughout uh, throughout sort of the week and, and in the game on Saturday. Uh, you know, there's just a, a moment right at the end of the video where Josue uh, leans over and gives his brother a kiss on the head and a pat on the head. And it was just like one of those things where where like the video throughout was was, was emotional and it, and, it, and it was uh, and it was really, really well done. And it's one of those things where I was like, okay, I'm keeping it together. I'm keep-. And then when Josue did that, I was just like, oh, man, I'm losing it. Um, so best wishes to the family. Best wishes also uh, to Derek as he uh, gets ready for this next fight. Uh, once a timber, always a timber. And we are all rooting very, very hard for you. Um, okay. Injury report. Uh, I think the big one that we've been talking around uh, that we should just talk about now, Fernando Adi. I, I put it in all caps in our mental notes. Um, it's Fernando Adi. So he was not in the 18 as, well, I, we expected him to be in the 18, put it that way, uh, uh, against Orlando City. He was not. Uh, how troubling on a scale of 1 to 10 is that to you, Jamie? 8 or 9. I think it's very troubling. And now it's seven straight games that he's missed. And the original diagnosis was that he was going to be out for a week. Uh, that he was gonna, This was going to be a quick 
thing, a quick hamstring injury. He was going to maybe miss a game and he would be back in there. This is going on a lot longer than the Timbers expected. And I think that's clear from what we're hearing from Caleb Porter. He doesn't say that a player is going to play. If anything, he's a little bit coy when he doesn't want the media to necessarily know who's going to play. He doesn't say a player is going to play or likely going to get minutes unless that's what he expects. So clearly, Audi is not progressing in the way that the Timbers have expected. Throughout this process, the timeline is changing. And you just look on, I mean, you look on the Thorns side. This is kind of, and I don't want to exactly compare it to that because I don't think this is necessarily a season-ending injury, but this is what happened with Tobin Heath in that Mark Parsons was trying to give a timeline and the, her progress was not matching up to what the doctors originally expected. That In that aspect of it does seem to be the case with Audie, that there was original diagnosis, a reach, a, an original expectation for how long this was going to take, and he's just not recovering as quickly as they expected. And this point with three games left in the regular season, I'm not sure what role he's going to play, at least to finish out the regular season. Maybe he'll come back from playoffs. Maybe he'll come back from those final two games. But I, I doubt even if he's healthy next week that we'll see him start in San Jose after this kind of break. And he's going to need to some time after this kind of break to work his way back up to full fitness, full strength. And the Timbers just don't have a lot of time right now to want to reintegrate such an important player. They they would like to have their best players out there preparing and in the right form and the right shape ahead of playoffs. Yeah, this is getting to the point where I, so this is now as long as my counting is correct, uh, guaranteed to be about an eight week injury uh, after what you said was an originally reported to be, you know, maybe one or two. Um, that's obviously a very significant difference. Uh, and yeah, I mean, we've sort of heard, uh, we think he's getting close. We think he's ahead. We think he's getting there, uh, enough that, that I, I think it's clear that we'll just see Adi when we see him. Uh, and that's worrying because as you pointed out, the Timbers now have three games left in the season. Uh, they do not have long, uh, before the playoffs start. These three games that they have left are all very important. Uh, and yeah, so I guess I would go an eight or nine as well. Uh, I'm very much up there with, you know, I mean, not knowing when he's going to be back. Frankly, I think it's it's fair to say we had questions about this last week and we sort of dismissed it. I, I think it's now entirely fair uh, to say if he's going to be back. Uh, and yeah, so we'll see. I and, and I think that is a serious, serious problem. I don't think the Timbers, you know, I mean, give the Timbers all the credit in the world. Uh, give Diego Valeri all the credit in the world for carrying the team. Uh, but for getting results during this period that Adi's been out. But, I mean, I, I think the the Timbers' chances of winning MLS Cup without Fernando Audi are a snowball's chance in Hades. I, I just don't think that's that's a realistic proposition in the slightest. Uh, and so, yeah, it's it's concerning. Eight or nine, by far. Uh, David Guzman, what do we know about him? He missed the game uh, on, on Sunday, obviously. What do we know about him going forward? Yeah, Porter had said earlier in the week that he had come out of the RSL game that was sort of overlooked because of a tight quad. And as of Wednesday, he hadn't trained, and Porter had basically called him questionable for the game. Obviously, he wasn't in there, so it's some sort of quad injury. Uh, a tight quad does not sound serious at all, but the fact that he missed the game is a little bit concerning. We're going to have to get a better update from Porter on that later in the week. If it's how Porter originally classified it, it sounded like something where he wasn't going to miss much time, if any. But just the fact that he didn't even make the 18 um, concerns me a little bit that this might be worse than uh, just tight quad. 
Right, and and it's sort of hard not to be triggered by the Adi situation yeah. <laughs> uh, in the in that respect, right? Uh, so you know, I mean, that's one that we'll have to wait and see. It's it's probably reasonable in in our more sober moments to say this doesn't sound serious. Calm down. Uh, but I mean, given the Adi situation, hey, you know, this isn't exactly the time uh, to to be nonchalanting injuries. Um, so yeah, we'll find out more about that on Wednesday at Caleb Porter's press conference. We're as noted, we're recording on Monday, so we don't have all of that information going forward in the next week yet. Uh, so, you know, stay tuned to Jamie, uh, Jamie's Twitter feed, uh, and Oregon live and stuff like that. They will have, uh, all of that information as the week progresses. Uh, one other issue that we've got to hit before we move on to the San Jose game, uh, and then some questions after that is the Timbers defense. 1.13 goals against average over the course of the last two months. Basically, since the month of August, it is not at all uh, any sort of uh, exaggeration to say the Timbers defense has been good, maybe borderline very good. What is the difference? I mean, that was a, that's about as far from the case as you can get uh, from where they were earlier in the season. They've only conceded nine times over the course of these last eight games. Frankly, four of those nine uh, were in a 30-minute meltdown in TFC. Otherwise, they, they've given up only five goals over the course of those, you know, eight and two-thirds of games. What's the difference? Why has the Timber? Why have the Timbers suddenly become uh, a legitimately stingy defensive team? Well, I think and I think we've talked about this before. You have to look at how this coincides with Mobiola joining the team. I, I mean, I think they needed someone to come in and anchor the back line at the center back position. And with Liam Ridgewell's injuries, they, they just didn't have that to in the way that they need it. And so I think Mabial has made a huge difference. I, I think he's been good for the Timbers. I think he has also brought leadership and experience to the back line. I think Liam Ridgewell coming back is, is probably helped a little bit in the last two games, but will help over time, particularly going into the playoffs and, and could be a help the Timbers stay as a stingy team keep this team as a good defensive team heading into playoffs. And and then I just think that the Timbers have made some changes at outside back that have been effective. I think Valentin has done a lot better than Alvis Powell has done this year. Alvis Powell's that was obviously the, his position to lose, but I, I, he was just so error prone and, and just not living up to his potential this year. I think Val- Valentin has brought more consistency to that position, even though maybe he doesn't have the upside that Powell could have if he was playing at his best. I think left back has still been kind of a little bit of a wonder of who's going to play there. And, and Vitas and Miller have brought different, different things at different times. Uh, so I don't necessarily want to say it's because of one of them or the other, but, but I just think those changes at center back and also at right back have made a difference. And the Timbers overall just haven't been making the same big mistakes for the most part that they were making earlier in the year. I only want to add in one other thing because I agree with all of that. And if I were to sort of list my two biggest factors, it would be those two. Uh, but, uh, but I just want to add one more thing. And that is uh, that I think the Timbers are doing a lot better job of sort of defending from the front. They're doing a lot better job of getting their wingers engaged consistently on the defensive side. Uh, I think even though they've sort of had to shuttle in and out, uh, personnel. I think the defensive midfield has really done a nice job over the course of the last couple of months, uh, whether it's been Darlington Nagby or, or Diego Char or David Guzman uh, or Lawrence Olam. I think they, they've had some pretty consistently stellar performances uh, from that position. And so I, th- I think that's been a major, major factor, frankly, for the Timbers, uh, both in, in sort of defending uh, with their wingers uh, and not letting free crosses come into the box. Uh, and, and also in, in, in sort of locking down that defensive midfield, they've done a really, really nice job 
under, you know, some relatively uh, unstable circumstances. So uh, I think this is pretty impressive. And I think this is a major, major feather uh, in the cap of Caleb Porter uh, and, and the coaching staff. I, I, this is, it is clear because it's, you know, I mean, it's other than Mabiala, it's all guys that they've had and been playing over the course of the season. Uh, and certainly Mabiala has been a, a part of this uh, and, and, a, and a part of the improvement. But I mean, you know, I mean, he, he's not the sole reason why the Timbers have gone from one of the poorer defensive teams in MLS to now, uh, certainly over the course of these last couple of months, one of the better defensive teams in MLS. It, it has been improvement from other spots. Uh, and so I think you've got to give uh, credit where, where it's due to the coaching staff in, in getting this done uh, and in getting this sorted out. But, you know, yeah, I mean, Mabiala is probably the most uh, the most physically dominant center back they've had since Pamo Duca or, da- or David Horst. I almost ca- called him David Horst, which would have been funny. Uh, uh, but so, you know, I mean, and those are guys, especially that 2013 version, Pamo Duca was a difference maker uh, in sort of the same vein uh, that Mabial has been. Uh, and, and, you know, I think they've, they've just done a nice job, even though they've had to sort of move guys around, just a much, much better job uh, of getting that job done. Uh, with the entirety of of the back eight, so uh, major major credit, I, I think is all is, is due all around. But yeah, I, I think Laris Mambiala has been a difference making addition to the team, and I think that's that's you know again, if we're giving out accolades on this, that's one that's got to go both to Caleb Porter and to Gavin Wilkinson for identifying him and bringing him him in. Uh, Timbers at San Jose. The Earthquakes are a funny funny team. They are you know there are always a few uh, of these teams every year, two or three in MLS every year. The Timbers have been this team before where they have like insane home away splits. The Timbers certainly did it uh, under John Spencer. That is very much where the San Jose Earthquakes are at. Uh, just, uh, you know, they're, they're eight, one and five at Avaya Stadium. They've only lost once. Uh, they do draw there a, a fair amount, five draws, but eight wins is certainly nothing uh, to turn your nose up at. Um, so they're, they're good at, at Avaya Stadium. They're good in San Jose. And I don't think there are any ifs, but ifs, buts uh, about that. Listen to what they've done on the road recently. They've lost eight straight. They have conceded 29 goals during that period and scored only four. That is that is mind-bogglingly bad and explains entirely their 4-0 loss to everybody like sit down before you hear this if you, if you don't know yet. DC United. They lost 4-0 to DC United. The only people that lose to DC United are the ones that lose 1-0 because they scored an own goal. Now, you got to be kidding me. 4-0 at DC United uh, this last weekend. And, and so you, you've got the Timbers going into San Jose. You're thinking, okay, this is the team that just lost 4-0 to DC United. I feel like I need to say that, you know, more time to get that to really sink in. Uh, but then again, this is also a team that's been pretty darn solid uh, at home and really, really tough to beat. They haven't lost at home. Uh, since I think May. Uh, and so this has been a team that's been very good uh, at Avaya Stadium. Obviously, that's where the Timbers are going this week. Uh, the Quakes do have a midweek game. Uh, they they do have a, a midweek opponent, the Chicago Fire, coming in uh, to play on Wednesday. Uh, so, the, so the Quakes are going to be playing on short rest. In light of all of that, you know, how much of, the, of that is consolation, the, the just catastrophic road form, uh, the midweek game, how much of that is consolation vis-a-vis uh, the, the Quakes' otherwise uh, impressive record at Avaya Stadium? Yeah, I, I don't think the road form can be taken into consideration all that much because they've kept up the pace at Avaya, and the fact that they've been losing so badly on the road hasn't changed what they've been able to do there. I, I do think the midweek game could make a difference, especially when you have players that are a little bit uh, on the older side, like Chris Wondolowski, 
that could help the Timbers that San Jose is dealing with a tough stretch here and they may have to rotate as well. And and that can make a a difference if they choose to do that. But this is going to be a tough place for the Timbers to play. And you look back at May for the Timbers, they went to San Jose, had one of their worst performances of the season to date and lost three to nothing. So they've already gone down to Avaya this year and seen what can happen if, if they're not on their game against San Jose at home. So this is not going to be an easy game for the Timbers. The fact that it'll be San Jose will be on short rest could change the dynamic, could change the personnel the Timbers see. But this is a Jekyll and Hyde team. They are a completely different club at home, and I'm expecting them to perform like that. I'm not expecting San Jose to be the San Jose that just lost 4 nothing to DC United. I'm expecting them to be a pretty competent team that the Timbers are going to have a tough time trying to beat on the road. I agree. I think they're going to have a, a really tough time. I think this is a difficult game. Uh, probably even though Vancouver is, is currently atop the Western Conference standings, I think this is probably the Timbers' toughest game uh, remaining this year. That's not to say the Timbers can't win this game and, and, and drop points somewhere else. Uh, but this is the one that, 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 that causes me the most gray hairs just because of their, uh, their form at home over the course of the season. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think that's a big deal. I also think it is, though, a big deal that the Quakes are playing midweek. They're not in a spot because they are sort of in a four-team logjam uh, fighting for the last two playoff spots. They're not in a position where they can afford to really rotate their team. Uh, they've basically got to go for the go for gold uh, in both of these games at home because they are so incompetent on the road. Uh, they've got to go for it at home and, and maximize their points there if they want to uh, get to the playoffs. They, they're playing against two good teams. The Fire are a good team. The Timbers are a good team. And so I, I certainly expect for them uh, to have a little bit taken out of them uh, when the Timbers get there uh, on the weekend. But, you know, I mean, my goodness, the, it, it's just staggering uh, and, and consistent, the difference between this team at Avaya Stadium and away from Avaya Stadium. I, I couldn't believe it when I was looking back over the course of their uh, recent road record. It, I've, I don't know if I've ever seen a team be that bad on the road while still maintaining competence at home. Uh, over the course of these last eight games or so. Uh, 29 goals against. That's just a staggering, staggering number. Um, Questions. Uh, Timbers questions uh, to hit a few of these before we move on to the Thorns. Uh, Justin wants to know why isn't Vita starting? This is something that Caleb Porter touched on uh, in his post-game interview. Uh, What do you think, Jamie? Why isn't Vita starting for the Timbers right now? Yeah, Caleb Porter has said that Vitas is healthy, but he has liked how Roy Miller has played both at center back and left back. He has indicated uh, when asked about that, that Roy Miller has overall, you take out that Salt Lake game, overall the Timbers have done well in games that Roy Miller has started at the left back. They've been able to pick up results and he likes the defensive presence he brings there. And I think while Vitas probably provides more in the attack, attack he, it's not like he has a that many assists this year so I, I i'm i think that kale porter maybe thinks that they're not missing all that much with vitas not on the field and i guess it also depends again depends on what team the timbers are facing as well and, and what they're expecting and what they need out of their left backs he he touched yesterday about also just not needing quite as much in the attack from the outside backs because the timbers are scoring so often and have players like Valeri stepping up and not needing their the outside backs to provide quite as much going forward. And that has allowed them to play Valentin and Miller as well and, and still be able to get results. So I think all of that's factoring into Caleb Porter saying he thinks Miller is playing well and he's willing to sacrifice a little bit of that maybe attack going forward 
for what Miller has been bringing on defense. He he wasn't entire, entirely clear if this was sort of a, you know, this is the way we're going for the rest of the season uh, kind of thing, or if it was sort of matchup oriented. Uh, and I think it would be a mistake if it was not matchup oriented and if it was sort of the way they're going to go for the remainder of the season. Uh, I, I think playing a little bit defensive, more defensively minded and, and, and sacrificing a little bit of that, uh, uh, of the width the fullbacks provide in the attack uh, makes sense against an Orlando City maybe. Uh, and it's something you can get away with against Orlando City uh, or maybe DC United at home. Uh, I don't think that's something you're going to be able to get away with through the course of the playoffs. I think the Timbers are going to need to have, v- they, frankly, Vitas or, or just a, a fullback. But they're going to need to have a fullback uh, going because I think Sebastian Blanco is just so, so much more effective when he has that overlapping threat over the top of him. And, and, and I don't think, you know, while they may be able to get away with sort of just saying, Valeri, go find us some goals. Uh, you know, against the Orlando cities of the uh, of the world, I I don't think that's going to fly. Uh, when the Timbers get into a playoff series, when they need a goal, uh, and I certainly don't think that's gonna gonna fly if they get to uh, they ultimately get to MLS Cup. It's not going to fly uh, against a Toronto FC or an Atlanta United or a New York City FC. There's no way. Uh, and so I I certainly I, I get the logic. Uh, I think it makes sense situationally. Uh, I just am not sure it is a realistic approach to take <laughs> uh even even if you do sa- sacrifice a little bit defensively i'm not saying you need to you know take reckless risks with with vetus I, th- I think you can uh you can be smart in how you bomb him on but i do think the timbers do need uh to have that as uh, as sort of at least a, a wrinkle uh or an option in, in their attack and, we, and with uh with miller at le- on the left uh, side they just really don't have that option greg uh did the timbers officially retire uh, the red secondary kits at some point this season. Uh, no. So I, I think they've just decided to go with green. Yeah. Uh, like they haven't officially retired them, but, but I think they're basically treating them as a true like change kit uh, where they're only going to wear them if there's a conflict with the green. So depending on what Jersey Seattle is going to wear, uh, sometimes they'll have to wear the red, maybe a, a sporting Kansas city, uh, if they want to wear their dark blues uh, at home, if they go there in the playoffs or something like that, uh, the, the Timbers will probably have to wear the red. Uh, that kind of stuff is, is going to be what, what determines that. But yeah, I mean, you know, if the Timbers are able to, they've made it, I, I think, perfectly clear. They're going to go with the greens. And frankly, I have no objection. I think those greens are super duper sharp. Uh, Josh, has Maddox earned his spot for next year? Do you see him coming back for the, for, with the Timbers? And if so, where are Jeremy Abobese's minutes going to come from? I don't think he has definitely earned his spot for next year. I I think that for the reasons we talked about, the fact that we haven't seen him score consistently in moments that a stri- you need a striker to be able to put away goals is a problem and a reason why the Timbers might want to think about going in a different direction in terms of their backup next season. Caleb Porter did say yesterday that he's always thought highly of Darren Maddox. He He's very clear about that. So I don't know if he'll stay on the roster just because of Caleb's relationship with him and what he believes he can get out of him. But I do think if Maddox stays on this team, it's going to limit opportunities for Abobasi unless they're looking at Maddox more as a winger, which hasn't really been what Porter has done this year. So I'm not sure where Abobasi is going to get his minutes uh, unless it's kind of in more of a rotational role, getting some spot starts like he has this year, maybe being the first guy off the bench in certain games. But it's certainly going to be a crowded situation if Audie and Maddox comes back. 
come back and then they have a Bovisi as well. Uh, for the aforementioned reasons, I remain unmoved in in my perspective on on Darren Maddox. I do not think he'll be back next year. I don't think it makes a ton of sense to bring him back next year. Uh, you know, maybe if his if his salary if you can get him at a, at a salary cap number that's really reasonable, uh, it makes sense to 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 bring him in and basically to say uh, between he and Abobasi, hey, you've got to compete your way uh, into into sort of the, that number two striker role. I. Don't know if there that number really exists, but yeah, I mean, I I I I think Darren Maddox is very helpful situationally. I don't think he's a great sort of overall uh, option as a number two striker, and I, I think Abobasi has better upside in that respect, uh, potentially even quite soon, potentially even next year. So uh, I don't think I, I'm I'm unmoved. I don't think he's coming back, uh, but yeah, you never know. Steve, true or false? The 2018 starting right back is not currently on the Timbers roster. Jamie? I think true. I think the Timbers are, I think that's going to be a big move for the Timbers in the offseason. I think they're going to look for a right back. I just think at this point, the Alvis Powell experiment is not working out. And it's, it's been a long time that the Timbers have invested in this. And I think it's time for them to go out and find a starting right back that's going to get the job done now uh and continue to develop players in the in their system through t2 i think valentine is a perfectly good depth piece that depth piece i would like to see him come back if only because he has a great personality but he has shown that he can perform when called upon but i don't think the timbers are looking at him as their long-term fit at right back so yeah i think that's going to be one of their major uh initiatives in the offseason I agree. Uh, Zarek Valentin has been very, very good uh, over the course of, of the last six weeks or so uh, since he's taken over that right back spot. And and so this is not a knock on him or, or, or how he's been recently at all. Uh, I think he is an absolute dream as a backup right back. Uh, and I think that's probably where the Timbers will, will, will look. Uh, to to keep him, but I definitely think the Timbers are going to try to go out and upgrade that position over the course of the offseason, especially if they get get this infusion of Tam that's been that's been rumored. Uh, if they get a good amount of Tam uh, in in there, and that opens up a little bit more cap space, uh, you know, I mean, we've seen a lot of teams, and it makes sense given the amount of Tam that's in the system now uh, to be willing to spend that money you know, on a, a guy that's sort of a next level up uh, from maybe the MLS you know fullback signings that we've seen in, in the past. So. Uh, so I, I think the Timbers will probably look to that over the course of the offseason. Uh, but I, I think and I think it would be very wise for the Timbers to nonetheless retain Zarek Valentin because I think he's uh, brilliant depth that you feel great uh, if he, you know, ends up with eight or 10 or 12 starts over the course of the season. Uh, that's that's something that you're perfectly comfortable with uh, as sort of a hint. I would give actually a pretty similar answer about left back. Uh, I, I think it is very possible uh, that the Timbers are going to go and, and and find a new left back, and that would probably implicate a transfer of Vitas out. Uh, but I, I don't think Roy Miller is a long term option at left back given his age, uh, and and it wouldn't surprise me if that's uh, another position where the Timbers are going to look to upgrade in the off season. Uh, Craig, has Jeff Adonella done enough to take and to keep the starter job at goalkeeper? And do you think the Timbers look for a new goalkeeper in the off season? I don't think he's done enough to keep that job. I, I think he might have done enough to keep that job this year, but I, I do think the Timbers are going to be looking for a new goalkeeper in the offseason. I, I just think the inconsistency from both Gleason and Antonella has been a problem this year, and they need a goalkeeper that's going to be consistent. Both Antonella and Gleason have shown they can be tremendous shot stoppers, have come up in big moments for the Timbers, but 
I, I think this club and it, Porto's talked about it prefers a, a more well-rounded goalkeeper and they want someone that has experience enough that they're not going to make mistakes in big moments. And since neither goalkeeper this year has shown that they can do that on a consistent basis, I think the Timbers are going to have to look in the offseason to see if they can upgrade that position. I'm so I totally agree on on the first that he may have done enough to, to earn it this year. I don't think he's done enough to have any sort of like incumbency going into into next season. I think the second question is a really hard one for the Timbers because to be honest, if you want to go out and acquire sort of that sure thing, we know this guy's going to be good kind of goalkeeper. Frankly, it's kind of expensive yeah. and it's more money than than teams are usually willing to spend at the goalkeeper position. I look at both Gleason and Adanella, and I see guys that can be better and have demonstrated that they can be quite a bit better than both of them have been over the course of the season and more consistent than both of them have been over the course of the season. Uh, and so I think it's going to be awfully tempting uh, for the Timbers to to go back to, to, to stick with these two guys and say, essentially, we don't think the two of them are going to have kind of off years uh, again uh, next year. And, and I think given the salary cap implications, that would be a pretty reasonable decision to make. But I think it's one that carries with it risk. Uh, so I, I think this is a hard question for the Timbers. I wouldn't be surprised if they look around and if they weigh their options, but I also wouldn't be surprised if at the end of the day uh, they think their options and, and the amount that it would cost uh, to bring in a goalkeeper that they know would be an upgrade over those two guys uh, is ultimately a, a cost that doesn't make a lot of sense for them uh, and that they sort of stake their uh, their goalkeeping claim, so to speak, uh, on internal improvement between Gleason and Adanella next year. Okay, Thorn's time, uh, and we start off with what was, frankly, a really, really ho-hum 0-0 draw uh, at the Orlando Pride. There were a lot of people going into this game that were like, this is like the best game of the, of the NWSL season, uh, the two best teams by by form in, in the league, and then they gave us a 0-0, uh, and not a particularly exciting 0-0 at that. Uh, our predictions on the game, you called a 2-1 win for the Thorns and a Christine Sinclair goal. Meh. Uh, I called a 1-1 draw with the Tobin Heath goal. I got the draw right. I didn't get the Heath goal right. I didn't get the scoreline right. I think it's worth at most like six and a half points. Uh, and, and you know, that's about that. What do you, what do you say about, about my points there? Sure. Uh, Bre- I was going to probably give you even less, but I'll, I'll take six and a half. It wasn't so different than you said. You set the precedent with your, with, with your just like wild giving out of 28 points yeah, earlier in this episode. So a little bit of point inflation today. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yes, that's how it goes. Tobin Heath did come back for the Thorns. She did make her Thorns debut, uh, played 30 minutes. Uh, what were your impressions on uh, her performance specifically before we get to the team as a whole? Yeah, I, I thought she made an immediate difference. I, I think you could see the impact she had in the attack, the impact she had with her ability to put balls in the box on, on free kicks and, and both just finding players in good positions. She didn't get on the score sheet, but I, I think everything she did was impactful in the attack. And, and you could see why this t- club has missed Tobin Heat so much and what she can bring. So I think she'll get better over time as she gets more minutes, reintegrates, gets a little bit more built up chemistry with these players gets that back. But even in that first outing, I, I thought it was really good to see her all already being impactful in the attack. Yeah. She looked individually better than I thought she was going to, going to look, I, you know, I don't know if I would necessarily call it game changing because, you know, aside from what there's the chance that uh, I'm having a senior moment on it toward the end of the first half, 
but there weren't. I mean, it's not like there was anything in the in the game where you're thinking, ah, oh, both of these teams are dodging bullets. Uh, and I don't think Heath was necessarily, you know, that that I ever thought, boy, you know, if if the Thorns don't score, I'm going to be shocked because Tobin Heath is dominating that much. But I did think they they were working fairly well within the attack. I, I thought she was playing pretty well, and I had relatively low expectations in spite of my like hashtag narratives fueled uh, prediction. I had relatively low expectations for her coming back off this long break in her first game with the Thorns, and and, and I think she exceeded him uh, when it when it comes to that respect. Uh, how much of the zero zero do you think uh, had to do with the Thorns, and maybe even the pride to some extent? being a little bit on the pragmatic side. I mean, they they both teams had multiple, multiple players coming off the international break on short rest, on long travel. Uh, how much uh, of sort of the, the way the game played out uh, and the result had to do with the Thorns and, and maybe the Pride being, you know, uh, maybe a touch more conservative than they otherwise would have been? I don't know. I, I think that early on, the Pride really came out attacking the Thorns and had a lot of opportunities, but the Thorns did really well, particularly in the first half on defense. I think maybe towards the end of the game, there was a little bit more pride. Uh, they were a little bit more pragmatic. I, I, I think as the scoreline stayed 0 0, I, I think maybe that changed uh, the approach, uh, especially from the Thorns side, making sure they at least earned that draw. But I, I did think early on that. Both teams were trying to take their opportunities and the pride had some decent uh, were in decent positions uh, around Portland's goal. I resolved to learn how to use my microphone. I won't. Uh, that's a, <laughs> I will not have to learn how to learn how to use it. And you will constantly suffer with me, like having at least one moment every every episode where I'm like cutting in and out because I don't know how to turn it on. Um, yeah, I, certainly the first half was, was, was a bit more impactful and was a bit more exciting than, than the second. But I, I agree with you definitely in saying that as the game went along and sort of stayed at 0-0, as frankly the Thorns defense looked uh, up to the task of, of handling uh, the, the pride attack, I thought both teams were sort of like, yeah, you know, this isn't the worst result for us. Uh, we've got bigger fish to fry down the road and, and, and nobody was going to uh, sort of, you know, throw caution to the wind. Uh, to try to go get the, th- the three points out of this. It's interesting sort of in hindsight being 2020 as it is with the Courage's draw at Sky Blue, you can make an argument that maybe the Thorns should have pressed a little bit harder. If they had won that game, uh, they would have been even with Sky Blue on points, although the Sky, Sky Blue would have had... Uh, the Courage, had, you mean. Or, goodness gracious. Yes, the Courage. Um, also you're going to deal with my senior moments. That's not going to change either. Uh, they would have been even with the courage on, on, on points, uh, albeit with the courage having a game, uh, in hand. Uh, and, and they would have been, I think in a bit more realistic position to, to maybe be able to capture the shield, uh, had the thorns, uh, you know, come away with a win next week, uh, against the red stars. Do you, do you think that's sort of a fair critique in hindsight? Uh, and, and, and maybe suggest that they should have been a bit more aggressive or are you fine with how it played out overall? Yeah, I think it's a little bit disappointing that they had the opportunity to pull a little bit closer in that race. But at the same time, I don't think they should have pushed their national team players any further. I think getting Tobin on the field was important. So I think there was other things that they had to be worried about in setting up, uh, putting themselves in the best position and setting up themselves heading into playoffs like they want to. I agree. I mean, you know, the, it may have increased their chances of winning the shield from, you know, five to 10% to 
15 to 20%. Uh, but I'm, I'm not sure that's worth risking uh, as Tata Martino and Atlanta United can definitely tell you right now, uh, risking an injury that, that could bleed into the playoffs. Uh, and so I, you know, I, I think it is sort of frustrating uh, in, in 2020 hindsight that the, the Thorns weren't able to, to go steal that 1-0 or something like that. But it's eminently understandable how they approached that game as it went on in the second half. Uh, and I think, you know, I mean, just sort of points to the ultimate goal uh, with this team. Uh, AD French, I think, is the other person that, that sort of put her name in, in the record books. But it, this probably goes more to the defense as a whole. But French recorded her 11th shutout of the season. That is an NWSL record. How much uh, of the story of that success do you think is sort of defense-wide? And is there a player that you would sort of identify as being the MVP in, in getting that that uh, honor? I, I think that that success has a lot to do with French. Um, I, I think she's had a really big year in, in terms of the improvement she's made, the stop-shotting ability ability that she has showed her ability to even stop penalty kicks. I, I think she's a little bit underrated in this league and, and underrated from the national team. I, I think it was surprising when she was getting Collins before. And at this point, I think we should, at this point, it's surprising that she's not getting called back in because I think she's had a fabulous season that said, yes, I, this is an entire defensive effort. The thorns have been, again, one of the best teams, if not the best teams in the NWSL on defense this year. I think Sonnet and Mangas have a lot to do with that. I, I think Mangas once again could be your defensive MVP. She has somewhat flown under the radar in this league, but I think Portland fans recognize what she's able to do when she's on the field and what kind of what difference it makes when she's not in the game. And I think you saw that against Boston when she wasn't in there, even though the Thorns ultimately found the win. I, I think they struggled in her absence. But I, I think Klingenberg's having a great year, although part of that is just her offensive production as well and her assist ability. And I think Reynolds has settled in nicely since she's come back. You know, I because I, I totally agree with you uh, 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 about Mengus, uh, I think Emily Sonnet has had a really good year. I mean, in many ways, I think you can sort of tie AD French and Emily Sonnet together that it was kind of surprising when they were getting uh, women's national team call-ups. And maybe now it's surprising now that they're not getting national team call-ups uh, because they're they're arguably both, and I think probably not even arguably, they're both more deserving now uh, than when they were being regularly called in, into the team. Uh, but I want to start with Catherine Reynolds, who I think has had just an immense season coming off a, a long-term term injury, uh, has had an immense sort of second half of this year since she's come back. She She is an excellent, excellent defensive right back. Uh, there might not be uh, many better defensive right backs in NWSL than, than Catherine Reynolds has been uh, over the course of the second half of the season. And, and I think she has been a major factor in this run of games uh, that the Thorns have had in the second half. And when they've really locked down defensively, they started to, to, to find the goals consistently and, and have become, I mean, I, I think now uh, it's fair to say the, the team in the best form in the league. And so I think Reynolds deserves a lot of credit for that uh, and certainly deserves uh, a lot of credit for her half, I guess, uh, of that shutout streak. Um, but, but both Mengus and, and Sonnet, uh, Klingenberg, I, I think has been solid defensively, but, but a real impact uh, in the attack. But look, I mean, the other thing you've got to talk about is just the job that this midfield, even though it's sort of had to shuffle in and out with international duty and injuries and, and all of that has done in gaining control of games, keeping the ball, 
being being sound defensively, being disciplined defensively, not sacrificing defensive discipline to, to keep the ball and to launch into the attack. I mean, this is something that, that goes more than just uh, to the back line. Uh, and, and you've got to look again at, at really where the heart of this team remains in, in that central midfield and the job they've done and being able to dictate games, game in, game out, home, away. I, I think it's been pretty spectacular and I think makes them the team to beat, frankly, going now into uh, the NWSL playoffs. So uh, A.D. French, tremendous season in addition to her shot-stopping ability uh, that comes along with the athleticism that we've always known is there. Uh, night and day different in distribution. And, and I think Nadine Onger uh, and the work that, the, the, that, that A.D. has put in with Nadine over the course of the year is showing shining through very clearly. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, it is sort of, uh, kind of like the Timbers defensive improvement that we talked about a bit ago. Uh, this is something where you can hand out accolades all around. I think, um, you made a broke, a big bit of news on Sunday uh, morning when I wasn't paying attention. Thanks, Jamie. Uh, Amandine Henri and Nadia Nadim will not be back with the thorns in 2018. How much of a blow is this to the thorns? And do, do you think this, uh, this sort of changes the complexion uh, of the season? to being kind of a last chance to win a title before the band breaks up a bit and the Thorns go through a little bit of a rebuild. I think it's definitely a blow to the Thorns, but it does sound like the club already has what I've been told are high-caliber replacements lined up. It'll be interesting to see who those players are. This is a team that players throughout the world want to play for, and because of the support, because of the ownership in Portland, that's just a benefit here. They're... I don't think this is a team that ever should be going through a real rebuilding year. They, because there's so many talented players out there that would be happy to play in Portland and, and, and given the opportunity. So yeah, I, I think it's going to be a blow, particularly what Henri's brought to the midfield has been significant for the thorns at the same time. I think they have some really good midfielders with Ali Long and Lindsay Horan. So it's not like they are going from, going from Henri to nothing and they're evidently bringing in a player, a player to replace Henri as well. And I think Nadim has been good, but the Thorns also have a lot of attacking options as well and potentially will have more next year. So I think, and I think you look at like the ascent of Haley Rosso, that kind of takes a little bit of the pressure off them potentially losing Nadim or definitely losing Nadim next year. I think obviously those are two key players and it would be nice to send them out with a trophy, but I don't expect next year to be a rebuilding year at all. The Thorns still have their core returning. They still have a lot of talented players coming back and I expect them to only try to get better because the expectation in Portland and with what the Thorns have created over the last few years in terms of the fan support and ownership and what it, where it stands in the world of women's soccer I think just means that this the expectation for this team is always going to be that they are have to find the personnel and have to do enough to compete for championships year in and year out. I you know I mean so you know a, a rebuild is probably over uh, overstating it, but I do think this this introduces quite a bit of uncertainty in into this off season. Um, you know, and, and certainly makes it a, a much more higher leverage offseason than, than last offseason, which was about as low leverage as, as I can get. Um, but look, I mean, you know, Henri has been very, very good for the Thorns, even if relatively quietly. Uh, she, she's been part of probably the best central midfield this league has ever seen. I mean, you know, it's 
five years old. And <laughs> if you want to argue with me uh, going back, then, then I'll, I'll certainly to pre-NWSL days, I'll certainly defer. Uh, but, you know, I mean, they, they have been the best central midfield that we've probably that we've seen in the NWSL era. And that's been huge. That's why they won the shield last year. That's why they're they're going to be no worse than second uh, this year and, and potentially making a, a run, uh, a run for a trophy in the playoffs. So, you know, I mean, I, I think that is a, a major loss. Frankly, I think Nadia Nadim is a pretty major loss, too. Uh, even though when everybody's healthy and when everybody's here, uh, she is not always the number one sort of attacking option. Look, she carried the team through the first couple months of the season this year. She was uh, the, the Thorns goal scoring out, output through the first couple months of the season. Uh, and that's going to have to be replaced, whether it's replaced, it sounds like, by somebody coming in and or by somebody like Tyler Lucy stepping up, maybe Savannah Jordan, who we really haven't seen anything from yet, but certainly is a very, very highly credentialed player. Uh, you know, I mean, if that replacement comes there, I think that's a reasonable opportunity, but it's going to be something that's going to have to be replaced. And those are a couple, I think, pretty material holes. That the, that the Thorns are going to now have to go out and replace over the course of the season or over the course of the offseason, and that's never easy. That's never a risk-free proposition, uh, and it could uh, go poorly. We've seen it go poorly before. So, you know, I mean, Henri, it, it is a disappointment, but not a huge surprise. We knew that she was out of contract uh, for next year. We've known that for for a number of weeks now, uh, and we've known that there, there were sort of ongoing conversations about that. We also know that the international players, when they do come into NWSL, Kind of come and go. Uh, we saw that with Vera Boquette as well. Uh, and it's it's unfortunate, uh, but it, it sort of is what it is, I suppose. Uh, but, you know, it it makes this offseason really, really something. And, it, and I think it does add some urgency uh, for the Thorns with this proven core that they have now uh, to go and get the trophy. Because I, I, I think it makes it so that there are fewer guarantees for next year. That they're going to be uh, able to be back up among the upper echelon of NWSL. Um, okay. Uh, I think we, yes, we are at Thorns versus Red Stars. It's Saturday, 1230 at Providence Park. Uh, so Tobin Heath played 30 minutes on Saturday. What do you think going forward? Do you think she can now press to a full 60 in this game and realistically be available maybe for 75 plus come playoff time? Or do you think that's a little bit too aggressive of a timeline? I, I, I'm not sure. I, I think that there, she's definitely going to see more minutes. I, I think 45 would certainly be reasonable. I, I think a lot of it's going to depend on how she recovers in, in this time frame between the, the Orlando game and the flight back and, and what she looks like this week. I, I think that might be one where the Thorns evaluate her throughout the week, see how she's recovering, talk to the team doctors, and, and determine whether – 45 minutes, 60 minutes, what's feasible in there? And and so I, I think they would like to get her to 60 minutes uh, at least, given that it's the final game before the playoffs. Um, and maybe even more minutes if she can do it. But I, I think they have to be very aware of her health and make sure they're not doing anything that could lead to a setback. That is obviously the sort of, the sort of cautious, reasonable approach. And that's the one that I'm sure the Thorns will take. Uh, I think it is important if they can uh to get her up to to you know 60 minutes or so as soon as soon as is reasonable and as soon as is prudent uh because i i think it is helpful to be able to get at least one sort of almost full-ish shift in before the playoffs and that obviously comes down to this one last game uh and so if they can get her uh beyond halftime if they can get her to 60 minutes i think that would be great 
uh, for the Thorns. But, you know, as you put, it totally depends on how she's recovered, how she's feeling, uh, and, and and how her, her sort of fitness numbers are uh, going through training over the course of the week. So we'll see. But certainly you would like, in light of the, the imminence of the playoffs, you don't really have the the luxury, I guess, uh, of sort of doing a very, very gradual, uh, very sloped comeback. Uh, one last question. Tony wants to know, where do you think Tyler Lucy starts or plays at for the Thorns next year? I mean, I, I don't really see her with, with Savannah and Jordan coming in with potentially two replacements for uh, replacements coming in for Nadim and Henri. I don't really necessarily see her earning a starting role when, when this team's at full strength, when Heath is back, I think that's going to be a really tough climb for her. I, I think she's going to probably be, probably be used off the bench. It may be a similar minutes to what Mona Shim was getting, honestly, over the last few years in terms of just being an attacking sub off the bench that they know can step up, can play on the wings or, um, play across the front line, but not necessarily someone that's going to be in the starting lineup. I, I think that would be surprising if we see her in there. 100%. I agree. Uh, okay. Predictions time. Uh, let's start with the Timbers at the Quakes. That is Saturday evening. Uh, Jamie Goldberg, what's your call? I'm going to predict a high scoring game uh, just for fun. Uh, I, I'm going to predict a 3 3 draw. Uh, so it's going to be exciting, but it is going to end in a draw. Um, Chris Wondolowski has given the Timbers trouble in the past. Uh, so that's one of the reasons I'm going on the higher scoring end. But I, I think Darren Maddox is going to come back in and, in place of Audi again and maybe make us uh, eat some of our words from this podcast and, and score, score a second goal in two games. Uh, I do not think that's going to happen, but I agree with you on the draw. Uh, I'm going to go a 1-1 draw between the Timbers and Quakes. I, I, I think this is going to be uh, a pretty tight one, and I think Laris Mabiala is going to get his first goal as, as a Portland Timber. Uh, that's going to give them a, a good solid point. Uh, I think a point that nobody would be overly disappointed with down in San Jose. Uh, Thorns versus Red Stars. The, the, the season closer. Uh, the end of the regular season, the end of the road uh, in the regular season for the Thorns, although both these teams will be going on to the playoffs and could potentially, it's looking like, uh, could even be a, a preview of the Western Conference semifinal in Portland. Uh, what do you think is going to happen in that game? Well, I think it's just the semifinal, not the Western Conference semifinal, although it will be the Western. Oh, yeah, it, it's this, is, this yeah. is why I can't do a podcast about two leagues. It's hard. It's harder than it sounds, people. The just league semifinal. There are no conferences in NWSL. I'm also an idiot. <laughs> it, it would be the Western two teams in the playoffs, but that's, that's true. just just that's just a fun random fact. Yeah, um, it, it is the Western semifinal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lowercase Western. Yes. <laughs> uh, I think the Thorns are going to put in a pretty decisive win here. I think they're going to win two to nothing, and, and Nadia Nadim um, is going to score a goal eh, as she. Final regular season game with the Thorns. Uh, obviously, she'll have playoffs too, but her final regular season game, she'll get a goal. I'm going to go 3-1 uh, for the Thorns, so I'm sticking. I, I'm agreeing with your result. I'm even agreeing with your point spread, goal spread. Uh, but uh, I think Lindsay Horan is going to be the moneymaker in this one. She's going to score a goal and have an assist. She's playing, I think, as well as anybody on the Thorns right now uh, in, in the attack over the course uh, of the last month or so. That's both club and country. Uh, and I think she's going to have a big one uh, against this Red Stars team. Okay, time for the fantasy update. Third place, that is Timbers Beast. That is Fargal, 2,977 points. 
just behind Timbertown that is lie with 2980. And then in the top spot, uh, Big Hearts Breast Balls, still Aaron with 3,052 points running away with it. I'm down in 52nd. And as always, Jamie Goldberg is in last place for not playing. Um, okay. That's the end of the show. This has been a long one. We had a lot of ground to cover and we covered a lot of ground. Uh, thank you all for your questions and, and for helping us uh, cover that ground. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy uh, the Timbers at the Earthquakes, the Thorns against the Red Stars. Enjoy all of the, all of the attendant NWSL and MLS soccer uh, next week. We will be back to talk about all of that and more. Until then, as always, take care. <laughs>